But the one that I've got this morning maybe falls into the category of, was Jesus really in tune with people when he said that? Did he really know what he was saying? It's a familiar story and one that I think I've read many times and eventually you start asking that question of what was Jesus thinking? And then I realized that there is meaning to that. So hear the word of the Lord from John 5, 1 through 9, and you'll notice a significant pause of a question that Jesus asked that I want us to think about as we hear the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five, cover, five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. When the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus was heading to the capital city of um, Jerusalem for the Jews for a feast. We don't know exactly which one. It doesn't really make a difference, but he goes by this place called Bethesda. It's a place that people can still go today. I've had friends who have been there, and you can actually see the place where this invalid, this this paralyzed man, was likely sitting, the place where this healing took place. The pool is described as being near at the sheep gate. And this is a picture of a, of a model of what it looked like. And you can see in the back there that door that leads in the temple. And what they would do is they would bring the sheep that were being um, presented to the, um, in the temple for um, offering, for sacrifice, and they would wash them in one of these two, two pools. So it was a place that was dirty. It was kind of nasty, maybe like a, a, like a, um, a feedlot today. So sheep and livestock. And then there was this other pool. This place that was also a mess, full of sick people, invalids, and other people with all sorts of problems. And there's a little bit of an irony of the name Bethesda, because it means house of mercy or house of compassion. And here's a place full of sick individuals. I'm not sure what comes to mind when you think of a place that's full of people needing healing, that are in a place of need. This summer, I had a great opportunity with some of our youth to go on a mission trip to Los Angeles. And usually when you think of going to Los Angeles, places like Disneyland and Hollywood Boulevard are the the things that come to mind. But for myself and the other youth that went, we experienced Skid Row, a certain block, a part of um, Los Angeles that 3,000 to 6,000 homeless people live. Many of them live in these tents, most all of their possessions and shopping carts, And they have a certain lifestyle of knowing where to get food, knowing where to get shelter. And the city of Los Angeles has a certain containment policy of their homeless, saying within these certain, uh, the certain area of Skid Row, they can camp out. They can live in this area and they won't be bothered. Anywhere else, if they were to have these tents, they would be kicked out and moved on. The pool was a similar type of place in some ways. The pool was believed to have healing powers And there's different um, explanations for these healing powers, whether or not 
true. One of the explanations is that the, the idea of the healing power had to do with a pagan cult, which were common back in those days. And the temple, uh, the Jewish leaders in the temple merely had them stay there, let them stay in that area as a containment place. You can stay the invalids, the poor, the homeless, as long as you stay in that area. But the idea of healing, what was going on? There is a, a spring that would feed these pools, and there are many springs still today that have uh, minerals in them, like sulfur and other things that do have some healing powers to our body. So that might be the explanation for it. Or there's also the, the idea, the, 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 um, the, the idea that this power of the pool was truly from God. There's a verse in um, Revelation 16:5 that speaks of an angel's wing that would come and stir up the water. And at that time, the power of, the, of God would be there to heal whoever touched the water first. Either way, no matter what the source of the healing was, there was a chance. There was a chance for healing for those people that were there. But the pool was also a dirty place, a place that people who wanted to remain clean, Jews who wanted to remain ceremonially clean, wouldn't even want to go there because of the, the contact with blood and other people that were there. But that didn't matter to Jesus. He went ahead, and um, as he walked in there, he saw this man, this invalid who we read about, had been there for 38 years. And how he knew that he'd been there for 30 year, 38 years, we're not sure if he was told, if it was something that was a prompting of his divinity, but um, he'd been there a long time. And the average life expectancy was about 40 years, so he'd been there for most of his life and was likely close to death. But Jesus instigates the conversation with the man, and he asks him the question, do you want to be healed? Now, if I were a disciple walking with Jesus, and he were to ask this man who's an invalid there for 38 years, and he were to say, do you want to be healed? I would say, uh, Jesus? Of course he does. He's an invalid. He's been here for 38 years. He'd love to be healed. And we expect the response of the, the man to be, do you want to be healed? You bet I want to be healed. I've been waiting for this day. But when he responds, that's not it. In his his response is one that um, maybe the man has thought a little bit more about this day. Because he realizes that for healing, that means change. The pool, as nasty and, and undesirable as it might be, is his home. This pool is his community. This man knows who will bring food to the invalids, and he knows how life works at this pool. For him to go means change. He's not sure of the consequences that healing might mean for him. So his response isn't yes or no, but a but, an excuse. He says that excuse of, you know, do you want to be healed? And his response is, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. A but, an excuse. But underneath his but or his excuse are likely some questions. Questions like, if I'm healed, where will I live? If I'm healed, where can I get a job? How's that resume look? What have you been doing the last 38 years? Sitting by the pool. Uh, if I'm healed, can I, get my, can I keep my same friends? If I'm healed, where do I go get dinner? For the invalid, his need for healing is obvious as we read it. But if we look at this, we realize that there's not just the healing that's needed for the invalid, but there's healing that's needed for each of us. Not just physical healing, although that still happens as an important part of God's ministry and what, what the Holy Spirit does today. But there's all sorts of areas where we need to be healed. Maybe um, emotionally, maybe relationally, maybe addictions or, 
behavior that we have, that we need to hear Jesus saying, do you want to be healed? And asking, how do we respond to that? Sometimes we think that, you know, as we look at this and changes in our lives and changes that we might need healing that God might give to us, we can go into that mode of Jesus wants us to be good. Jesus wants us to follow the Ten Commandments, to do what is right. And I'm not saying that you should go and sin boldly, but to realize that when Jesus was here on earth, some of his harshest words were, from the Pharisee, for, were for the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were some of the best people at keeping the Ten Commandments. They knew them backwards and forwards. They knew ways that people were, were breaking them. But Jesus wasn't condemning them for their actions. He was condemning them for the state of their heart. The way that they were using the, the law to judge and to, to put out their, not, not love, but judgment. And so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as we live in this world where we have the law that God put, but also the grace and love that Christ put for us? In, in light of that also, that question of, do you want to be healed? That question can be asked and understood by different people in different ways. And this morning I'm excited. We're going to hear a testimony from someone that a lot of you might know, Brian Oliver. And Brian is a child of our church who grew up and has um, faced some, some challenges. And God has brought him to a great point in his life to be able to share with him the healing power of God. But also that point where he was that time where he had to say, do I want to be healed? And what does that look like? So Brian, glad to have you with us. Good morning. I'm Brian Oliver. I, uh, I come to tell you uh, about a remarkable change in my life. Um, I, too, have laid by that pool uh, wanting things to be different. Um, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict, and I come to tell you that uh, things have changed, uh, and that's a result of God's healing powers. Um, I was a, uh, I, like Stuart said, I'd grown up around this church and uh, dabbled in church membership, um, often laying by the pool, you know. But um, <clears throat> I guess as soon as I got a driver's license and a curfew, I was off to the races. And uh, what happened was I became uh, very irresponsible and... Uh, you know, I guess the easiest way to say it would be I was a liar, cheating, a thief, you know. And uh, what, what, would, uh, what happened was that um, after, thank God it wasn't 38 years, <laughs> but after several years of, uh, of uh, living a lifestyle of drugs, drugs and alcohol, I, uh, I, had, uh, I was unemployable. I was uh, I was dragging my family's hearts through the mud, you know. I uh, <laughs> like I said, I was a thief. Um, I, I uh, I'm at a loss for words, I guess. <laughs> what 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 I came to tell you about was that um, I often laid by the side of the pool, and I wanted I wanted my life to be different. And I was often asked if I was ready to be healed. And I can't say that I was. I wanted everything around me to be different, but I was not ready to be different. I was not ready to quit using drugs and alcohol. I was not ready to hold a job. I was not ready to uh, become a re responsible member of society. And, uh, you know, I was provided many opportunities to have a different life, 
but I didn't, uh, I didn't jump at those opportunities. I was reluctant. I did not, uh, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted everything on the outside of me to be different, and I wanted people to do things for me. I had a very uh, big sense of entitlement. I wanted my bills paid, and I wanted, um, I just wanted people to do things for me, you know. And uh, through through my course of uh, of lying, cheating, stealing drugs and alcohol, I was finally. Uh, I, I had a lot of legal problems, <laughs> and. Eventually, that brought me to my knees, you know, and I, I, I believe in the pain as pain is the great motivator and um, uh, normal people would have turned around at some point, but I did not. And eventually I was incarcerated and I was I, I was uh, I was in prison for a year and a half. And uh, during that time, uh, you know, I was asked again, do you want to be healed? And <laughs> at that point, I was I was a broken spirit. And I, I had finally faced the fact that um, that this was a this was a result of my actions, and it was uh, my consequences, and uh, uh, it was time I didn't want any more of it, you know. And I was ready to do something different. And so now that I was uh, finally humble, I believe, then God had something to work with. I began reading my Bible and I started uh, attending uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Um, I started doing the steps. And through that, um, I was led to have a relationship with God, a real relationship, you know. And uh, no longer was I lying, lying by the side of the pool, you know, attending church occasionally, attending a meeting occasionally. I was uh, now pursuing a relationship with the ultimate healer. And uh, through that, I believe uh, I've had a a spiritual awakening of sorts. You know, I'm a different person today. I no longer lie. I no longer cheat. I don't steal. I'm a responsible person. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And uh, before, I was not that person. Uh, I was very unreliable, you know, so um, Jesus, Jesus came to me uh, in prison, you know, and uh, when I guess I guess where I'm going is that he he did say, pick up your mat and walk. And uh, it was kind of a follow me deal, you know, and and I started uh following him and I started doing his will and quit seeking uh, my own will. And through that, you know, I, I, I spoke to Stuart the other day and I always thought the coolest part of this story was that um, he said, pick up your mat and walk. And he didn't say, leave your mat. And so I, I, I chose to pick up my mat and my mat is alcoholism and drug addiction. I still carry that mat with me today. And I show people that Matt. I show them what I've been through. I'm, I'm willing to uh, share with another drug addict, with another alcoholic, uh, where I've been and, and uh, what happened as a result of the power of God. Um, that's my uh, that's my ministry. God gave me a purpose, um, and it's my Matt. Just showing my Matt to other people and telling them that I was saved, and I have been saved, and and. Uh, 
my family, my relationships with my family have been restored. Um, things are completely different today. I have a, I have a beautiful family, the family that I always wanted, that I wanted um, somebody to do it for me. You know, I, th- I thought I deserved um, a wife and a kid, you know, but um, I wasn't willing to change. God changed me, and now I have that wife and a kid. Um, so now today, uh, I'm carrying my mat around, and I'm, and I'm showing it in this church today and um, trying to, to uh, be available to people who are going through other struggles, addictions of any sort, uh, control issues. We have a group here in the church. We call it One Verse at a Time. It's a play on One, ver- or one Day at a Time. Uh, we do things one verse at a time. Uh, we, we study the 12 steps and as they're brought to us through Scripture. And we're a support group. We, uh, we encourage each other to um, pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that through that relationship is how I was restored. And um, I'm very grateful for this church and the 12 steps and... Uh, I have a debt of gratitude. Uh, I'm very grateful for the things that it's given me, and I, I'd like to pay it back by sharing my experience with another person in need. And uh, we meet at, we meet on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock in Wilkins Parlor, and uh, maybe somebody here today will hear that and uh, come come visit with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brian. And, uh, you know, some of us relate to Brian's story. Maybe there's a a part of addiction and recovery that you're celebrating or friends that you know. And my story is a a lot different, not one of addiction and that kind of uh, experience. But there is the similarity of both of us and all of us needing the power of Christ to transform our lives and the grace and mercy of Christ. For me, there's uh, different mats that I could share, but limited by time. But one of the, the mats, one of the things that I, I struggle with is the need for approval. And, you know, there's some things that we can all say that, you know, we struggle with that most people say, oh, it's no big deal. The reality is maybe it is a big deal. In society, maybe it's okay. Uh, you know, certain addictions aren't. But, you know, there's some things we could say is okay. When I w- learned about my need for approval in this problem was really when my youngest son, Preston, was a baby and a toddler. I would watch uh, my uh, three sons total, and um, Preston would do something funny or cute, and we would all laugh at him, and he would do it again. And he learned that at an early age of, if I do something funny or cute, the people I love, they respond in a great way. I have three older sisters who I love. This is two years ago, and um, wonderful sisters have great relationships with all of them. But they taught me something when I was a baby and when I was a toddler. That if I do something cute, that if I do something fun and engaging, that they'll respond with laughter and smiles. They didn't mean to, and I don't hold a grudge against them, but I carry that on today. Whether I'm uh, speaking in front of a group or one-on-one, I'm looking for that. Am I being funny? Am I being cute? Am I doing something that's going to make people happy? And maybe sometimes as a pastor and as a leader, it's not always about being funny or cute or making people happy. And so do I go back to my default of looking for approval instead of doing what is right? I have a valid but. I have a valid excuse. 
but do I let that continue to go or do I make changes? And my wife, people I know well, have helped me to, um, to see this and to see the difference. Humor and laughter is okay, but do I live for that or do I live for the truth of what Christ has for me? Another thing that, uh, that I deal with is, uh, is being a father and the challenges of having three sons and how I parent. I love my father. He was a great man, and he was a military man. He uh, was a lieutenant colonel, but most of my life he was in the reserves, and there's a certain structure and order to the military. If you don't do that, to follow those rules, there are bad consequences. And his parenting reflected that. His parenting was one of lecture and rules and sitting and listening. And I eventually, I think, understood most of what he was trying to communicate. And when I became a father, I was doing the same thing, lecturing my children And over time, my wife saw it, and I saw it too, where their faces would get this blank stare and this thought of, all right, how long do I have to listen to this before I can go? (laughs) And the more that he would do that, or the more I would do that, I would feel them pushing me away. But I had a valid excuse. My dad did the same thing, so it was okay if I did the same thing. I had a valid but. I had a valid excuse. And I realized if I wanted to truly have what I believe was best, for my three sons, I needed to make a difference. I needed to change my way of parenting, change my way of teaching my sons. It was difficult at first. I wanted to lay out the reasons why what they were doing was wrong. Not a lot, but I wanted to, to lay that out in clear, clear ways. My wife and other trusted friends helped me realize the value of the relationship. I started every um, Friday morning taking one of my sons to breakfast. And their favorite part of it was getting to go to breakfast with dad, not about the conversation, about getting to go to Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's. It was the meal for them. But for me, it was the time. It was the time to listen, the time to ask questions of, what are you excited about? What's happening that's fun in your life? What are those challenges? And then to be able to speak a little bit of my experience, not a lecture, just my story. And the hand that was like this became one that was embracing them and welcoming them. It's not that I don't every once in a while want to default to the lecture, but it's something that I see the way that that makes a difference. And most people could look at me and my parenting and say, that's right, you tell them the right thing to do. You're doing the right thing, and I would get praise and affirmation. But I realized that I wanted the best for my family. I want the best for my sons. So I made those differences. And a lot of these things that, that we can think of in our lives might not be as clear as addictions or, um, or some of the, the, the carnal sins that we see, But if we really examine our lives, we see that there's some good changes that we can make. And it's not not only the the forgiveness of Christ, but also the people that we need. One of the things that um, I was reminded of as I visited with Brian and um, and just uh, preparing for this sermon are the, the, the wisdom and the value of the 12 steps used by Alcoholics Anonymous and other recovery groups. And step five in, um, in Alcoholics Anonymous and the addiction is very clear. It says to admit to God to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. A lot of times we have the easy part of admitting to God. Maybe a little bit harder sometimes to admit to ourselves, but then that part of telling others about what we're doing, about ways that we're leading, doing things that are destructive, that are causing problems in relationships and other people. So when we start to share things with our wives or husbands, with our family and friends, It makes a difference. Confession is an important part of our discipline as brothers and sisters in Christ. As it says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is true. But sometimes our sins, our actions, our shortcomings have consequences that we must face in order to make changes. I don't know what what those things are, and this is not a time of confession, but I hope that during communion, we have a little bit of a response. And if you notice in your bulletin, there is a a little card, a different color. They're not color-coded anyway. Mine's blue. I'm not sure what you have. But I encourage you, if you feel led, as you prepare to come forward and take communion, to write on here, what is it you're mat? What is it the thing that you need to be healed of? What is it that you see that, you know, is, a, is an ongoing challenge that you need to see God working in your lives for that healing and that purpose? And feel free to write your name on here um, if you want someone to contact you. Uh, one of our, the pastors or Stephen Minister would be happy to contact you. But even if you want to remain anonymous, that's okay. And we'll be praying for you. But then also remember that part of the, the, um, the fifth step, to admit to another person. And I don't want to feel like you're being coerced, but to feel like that the Spirit is leading you to share the right time and the right place with others of what are those challenges. So what is it? What are those mats we're sitting on? What are those excuses that we have? Is it an addiction? Something like alcohol, drugs, pornography. Is it a physical challenge or physical healing that we need for chronic pains, migraines, cancer, diabetes, dementia? Maybe emotional problems, fear. Dependence, isolation, anxiety. One of the seven deadly sins is they're commonly known. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, or lust. Or maybe it's just a bad attitude. An attitude that shows apathy or narcissism. Being a people-pleaser. Or just being a jerk. Reinhold Niebuhr is the author of the serenity prayer used by Alcoholics Anonymous, which says, God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There's a lot of wisdom in this prayer, and two important things are, that I see is to recognize those things that we can't change. A lot of times those are our buts. Those are our excuses. We're predisposed because of our family, but not letting that define us. And so recognizing that we need and we can be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit and also through other people. We have a community of other believers, whether the group that Brian is a part of and leads on Wednesday night is the place you need to go or just being with a pastor. There are ways and places to help with the healing that God desires for us. There is hope for healing. There is that reality of our mats. And as we show those to others to see what God has done through us, that we offer that hope of what he can do for others. There's always the promise of healing, maybe not the way that we see it or want it, but the promise that God is with us and heals us. But it begins with us answering that important question, do we want to be healed? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word and your truth and pray that you would help us to examine our lives and our hearts, not only for the actions, but the things that maybe we don't do, the, um, the ways that we are predisposed and, and see damage Nothing that's going to, might be little things, but knowing that you want to heal us. Help us know the steps, the directions that we need to take to receive total healing from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.